0: Listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for March 2015. Today's episode is titled Insight into Working in Community. To build organizations that deliver excellent value to their customers, management must build with trustworthy workers who are bound together in a spiritually familiar relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ. Each worker must be committed to sacrificially serving helping one another, and to executing his or her work based on obedience to the will and ways of Christ. Workers must have a profound sense that ultimate accountability is to Christ, who is the master of all workers, including managers. Such workers will labor as a mutually edifying community that empowers organizations to deliver excellent value propositions to those the organization is called to serve. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Prayer as a Business Discipline.
1: Well, this morning we want to continue talking about uh, the book of Colossians uh, and practices that flow from the seminal principle of Christianity, which is whatever you do in word, that is whatever you say, and whatever work you do in every sphere of life, it should reflect Christ. It should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is to me the seminal principle of Christianity, embodies the seminal value of Christianity, which is love. It's rooted in the reality of Christ as the seminal source of all wisdom and knowledge. There's no true wisdom and knowledge that doesn't come from him. And it's rooted in the seminal theological understanding of Jesus Christ as indeed the second person of the Trinity, who is fully God, yet fully man, and he came to deal with the sin of man through his death on the cross, doing for man what man could never do for himself, doing for man what what was required only God could do for man, which is to pay the price for sin, and deliver us therefore from sin and death." So. Paul has developed Christianity in this book very beautifully, very systematically, and now after chapter 3 verse 17 he's really gotten very practical. Most of us, uh, all we want to hear is what's happening after chapter 3 verse 17, because we just want the practice, we don't want the details, we don't want to know You know, all that goes into those practices, but the Apostle Paul knows it's very important for us to really understand reality well. We have to understand the theory before we can really understand how to practice the theory well. So as he's gone through the practice beginning in chapter 3 verse 18 he started with a family and then in verse 22 of chapter 3 he moved into the workplace and how workers should work. And In chapter 4 verse 1 he started talking about how bosses should function. And then he went into prayer as a practice and, and stressed the extreme importance of being devoted to prayer obviously in all areas of life, including work. Uh, We may be quick to pray at church or quick to pray in our family, maybe. Not all of us are, but some are. But we typically are not quick to pray in the workplace. And if we are quick to pray in the workplace, it's all about our will and our ways. It's not about God's will and God's ways. And remember in Chapter 1, he tells us with uh, the way he presents his heart for the, the Colossians that he has two prayers for them. The first prayer for them is the prayer that they, would, that they have come to Christ and realized the blessings of eternal life. In other words, they, he prayed the reality of Jesus Christ as your Savior. We're grateful he is our Savior. And then in verse 9 through verse 14 of chapter 1, he tells us a second prayer he prays for them. And this is the prayer of obedience, the prayer of the fact that Jesus is Lord. And the seminal idea of that prayer is that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may live a life that pleases him. And there's four key traits of that kind of life, a life that pleases him. And number one is we bear fruit in everything we do. Number two, we grow in the knowledge of God. Number three, we're empowered with endurance and patience to run the race we've been assigned to run and finally, we are joyfully thankful we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we had nothing to do with it; it was a free gift. So, people that, that display those four traits are people that are pleasing the Lord. And the way you please the Lord is you have to be filled with the knowledge of His will. And so, this book is really all about unpacking what that means. You know, Colossians one four through uh, verse nine through fourteen are arguably the key ideas of the book, and everything else is the subset of that prayer. So now we get toward the end of the book, and he's given us a lot of great truth about how to walk in the will and ways of God. And now he gives us another truth, kind of like a final truth. And it's not to suggest that this in any way is a lesser important truth. It's a very important truth. It is the truth of community, living in community. And, in fact, the rest of the chapter, which we're not going to cover it all today we're only going to we'll see how far we get. But the rest of the chapter is dealing with community paul's community, how he interacted with the community, how he related to them, how he saw them, how they worked together, all of those aspects are contemplated as he is as he's trying to share his heart about community with the Colossians and by the way, the Laodiceans because he encouraged. This letter to be read to the church at Laodicea, which is a clue that he viewed this as a circuit letter. He viewed this as going beyond just one congregation. So let me read the text, and then we'll talk a bit about it here. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided a comfort to me. So as Paul is now beginning to share about his community, the first person he talks about is Tichkas. Tichkas means faithful. That's an an interesting name there. And you need to know that names are important. We know that from Genesis chapter 2, when the very first task that man was given to do, before he really even started working the garden, was to name the animals. And that means he was given authority by God to define in some ways their traits, their characteristics, and their purposes. So man was given a lot of power, a lot of authority right out of the box. And so names are important. What you name anyone, even if you're not conscious of that, that you're naming them, if you have the authority, like a parent has the authority to name a child, by virtue of your authority, you know, what you say over that child has meaning, has purpose, has significance. So Tichkas here turned out to be one of the closest friends of Paul. Now Tichkas and Onesimus, the first two people mentioned here in this text, are going to be the emissaries of this letter they're the ones who are going to carry it back to Colossae. It's interesting that Epaphras, who is the man who apparently started the church and is with Paul at the time he's writing this letter, is not mentioned as the emissary. It is Tychicus and Onesimus. And I think there's a very special reason why that's true. First of all, Tychicus is arguably one of his, Paul's closest relationships. He tells you in how he describes this man three levels of relationships he has with this man. Notice what he says. He says he is a dear brother. Now that word dear there is probably a weak translation because it's literally the word, uh, a derivative of the word agape. And you know agape is the biblical word for, for love. And agape love is sacrificial living, doing what's in someone's highest good, that is aligning up with, with the will and ways of God, no matter what it costs you. So this dear brother is a a brother who is sacrificial. They have a family relationship in a sense, a spiritual family relationship that's characterized by being willing to sacrifice to serve one another. So that's the first level of relationship Paul has with Tychicus. The second level of relationship is described as a faithful minister. Now, sadly today, we have distorted this idea of ministry. Uh, this this word that's translated ministry is a Greek word diakonias. Diakonias literally means to execute the commands of another. That's literally what it means. So the sense of this is this is a function. We've turned ministry into um, a calling. It's not a calling. It's a function. You know it you know it's it's not a calling to uh, to go and. And, uh, and and necessarily uh, be a faithful brother. That's not really a calling. That is a relational state. That's a function of how you relate to someone. Well, ministry here is more of a task. It's referring to responsibilities, like being a steward. It's not really a a, a calling. We've turned it into kind of like the seminal calling. There's no greater calling than being to the ministry. So I want to encourage all of us to not use that terminology, the ministry, because that's so full of misunderstanding today. In fact, it's almost kind of like using the word church. That, that word is so misunderstood today. You may note that I try to avoid using that word. I can't totally avoid it, but I try to minimize using it. I like to talk about gatherings and Christian communities or congregations, things like that, and that are not so misunderstood. But you say church, you know, people think buildings, uh, they think about their particular church, and the church technically is the universal church with a secondary understanding that it can refer to a local congregation. So likewise, ministry is misunderstood. So what I want to encourage us to, to do is recognize what he's really saying here. He is a faithful minister, that is a faithful person who executes the commands of another, and who else would that be would be Christ. So he's executing the commands of Christ, and apparently that's how he relates not only to the community of believers, to brothers and sisters in Christ, but to those outside. I'm executing Christ's commands to everyone that I relate to. That's how I live. This is the state of my being. This is what I do. This is a task that I perform Is I go execute the will of God according to the ways of God relative to everyone so he is faithful he's consistent this is how he lives and the third way that Paul describes his relationship with Tychicus is he says fellow servant now that is one word in the Greek language soon doulos, now soon doulos is a compound word Dulos means slave and soon means with so it's a, it's a be a slave with it's referring to ownership we are not our own we are owned by Christ We are fellow slaves, you know, we are together as slaves owned by Christ. So now we're talking about, you know, who owns us. Another common misunderstanding in Christianity today is this whole idea of freedom. Uh, I, I could just say, look at my own congregation and the kinds of things that I hear, there's a great emphasis on exalting the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, when I ask people, okay, what do you mean freedom in Christ? Well, invariably, it winds up being a freedom to do what I want to do. And my comment to that is, well, we're in Scripture that says you're free to do what you want to do. I don't see that in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is I have been delivered from sin and the power of sin and death, which I was a slave to, and now I have been given to another master. Now I'm a slave of Christ. My freedom is now I have the freedom to obey him instead of the freedom to obey sin and death. And so that's the sense of freedom. I've just changed masters. I was a servant of Satan and the, the forces of darkness. Now I'm a servant of Christ and the forces of light. So when you start talking to people like that, they look at you like you're nuts. Like, what what are you talking about here? So, well, that's what I see in scripture. Can you show me You know where you, we can see what you think freedom is in scripture? and invariably they can't because invariably these people don't know the word they don't really know what it says they have just created their own view of reality and so now this is where the culture is distorting the christian community so we've got to get very clear that we are not free to do whatever we want to do in christ we are free now to be obedient servants to find the purpose of god for our life and to go do it that's the freedom we have and that's what we want to teach and train people is find the purpose of God and go do it. And you do it as a dear brother, that is a beloved brother, who sacrificially serves the, the community of the saints. You do it as a faithful minister, executing the commands of Christ to everyone, those in the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ, always faithfully serving Christ's commands in everywhere you go. And you recognize always that you are owned by Christ. You are not your own, you've been bought with a price. So he's describing this incredible deep relationship he has with Tychicus. It's very deep in the Lord, profound understanding of reality and how to live in reality. And then he goes on to say, I'm sending him, Tychicus to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. Now why is that important? Well I think anytime you have a strong relationship with someone, as the Colossians to do with Paul even though they've never met him personally they're looking to him as their spiritual grandfather and they're looking for wisdom from him they're looking at his circumstances he's in prison and that is probably not real encouraging to them they oh he's in prison oh this is not good what's it mean for us and he wants them to know about his experience he, he is a model he knows he has to be an example to them for how to walk through a difficult circumstance and so he wants them to know about it. So Tychicus is going to come and tell them what's going on, how Paul is persevering, how Paul is walking this out, what is Paul's view toward you know being in prison, and how is he seeing God through this, and how is he growing through this. And because Tychicus is going to deliver a great report, undoubtedly, they will be encouraged. And that word there, encouraged, is the word parakaleo, is the common word, that's translated encouragement in the New Testament, it is means something different than what encouragement means in English. In English, we take encouragement, and we, we mean by that you're in a bad circumstance. I want to encourage you to feel better in your bad circumstance. That's not what the Greek means. The Greek literally refers to it's not emotional. It is a, it is a call to discipleship. So uh, to encourage someone is to call them to discipleship. The word literally means uh, to call someone beside you and and to walk with them, presumably imparting to them the will and ways of God as you walk. And the word para there, para kaleo, is the word. It's a compound word. Para means parallel. We get parallel from that, beside. Kaleo means to call, so it means to call beside. So that's the sense of encouragement here is a call to discipleship. And this is what we should be doing with our children. This is what we should be doing with anyone we teach or train or disciple. As parakaleo, bring them beside us, walk with us, do what I do, and be great examples for them. So Tychicus has been sent here to encourage the the hearts of of the people there in Colossae and explain all that's going on with Paul and help them understand how he's seeing it biblically and how he's walking it out. Then he says he is coming with Onesimus. Onesimus is the runaway slave. He was owned by Philemon who is also a citizen of Colossae. And it's very interesting that Paul now is going to send his letter back in the hands of this runaway slave who undoubtedly does not have a good reputation there in Colossae. Particularly with Philemon who is pretty irritated that his slave ran away. Now you know what Paul at this point is not going to talk about slavery and those kinds of issues. Paul shows us strategically how you pick your battles. The first battle you've got to deal with is you need to get Onesimus accepted by the Colossians again. It's like this is the bad child. This is the runt of the litter. This is the guy that's got a bad reputation, you know, and nobody likes him. Nobody wants him back, and Paul's going to send him back. And not just send him back. He's going to send him back with his letter. Wow, that's putting a lot of trust in him. And notice how he describes his relationship with Onesimus. He says, our faithful and dear, which is that word, again, agape, brother. So he's talking about him being part of the family of God, and he's been a faithful man in the family of God. Well, then, when he was a slave, running away, he wasn't faithful at all. Now he's become faithful. Why is that? Because he's come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, things change. It's interesting, in the book of Philemon, where Paul writes a separate letter just to Philemon to deal with this, that apparently was sent back at the same time that the letter to the Colossians was sent. In that letter, Paul points out to Philemon that he viewed, I know you viewed Onesimus as useless. But Onesimus literally means, the name means useful. And now he's become useful and the way he became useful is he we came to Christ. When you come to Christ, you become useful. That's what he's saying. And literally Onesimus is the picture of this reality. So Onesimus has been sent back with great accolades and support from the apostle Paul and points out again, he is one of you. Don't reject him. Don't think poorly of him. He's come to Christ He's been redeemed, he's transformed, he's not the same person he was when he ran away. He's different. Receive him as a different person. And he says, they will tell you everything that is happening here. He then goes on to talk about my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. Aristarchus means best ruler. Aristarchus, again, is a a Macedonian convert. He lived in the city of Thessalonica obviously someone that Paul came into contact with along the way and really drew into Aristarchus became close and so Aristarchus is so close to Paul that they're sharing a cell together they're actually in prison together so here's one person that is literally a fellow prisoner with him there's fellowship in the prison with Aristarchus and I'm sure on some level that's keeping Paul going and encouraging him. And it's important to see that when you're going through a circumstance, we need fellow brothers and sisters with us in those circumstances. It's a good thing. And then he says, John Mark also sends greetings to you. And John Mark, we believe, we're not totally sure, wrote the Gospel of Mark. He's also the man that abandoned Paul on his first missionary journey. And then on the second missionary journey, when Barnabas wanted to take him along, Paul said, no, we're not going to take him. He did not prove to be faithful. Well, obviously, at some point, uh, Mark and, and Paul reconciled, and now Mark has become a close confidant, a close advisor, a close a close in on the, to the community of the Apostle Paul. He says, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And finally, we have Jesus, who is called Justice. Uh, interesting. Uh, one commentator pointed out how, uh, in in the New Testament times, it was common after Christ for people to be named Jesus, and uh, that would be a, a, a second name given to them. Uh, interesting. You see, in the Islamic tradition, there are a lot of people named Muhammad. That's a second name given to people. It's not not usually their birth name. It's the second name. And I wonder sometimes, although I can't prove this, but I wonder sometimes if they didn't steal that that practice from the early Christians so here we have justice which means just who uh, whose name is Jesus which means Jehovah's salvation he's got two names he also sends greetings we really don't know much about uh, about him and don't know a whole lot about Mark but we know that these are the two men that are specifically appeared to be of the same ethnic group as Paul that is their Jewish people and he calls them my fellow workers so there's another description here. This is soon ergon. ergon. Soon is with, and ergon is work. We, they work with me. So they are laboring with me. They're not necessarily prisoners here with me, but they're here laboring with me. And, of course, it's all about, for Paul, the kingdom of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the kingdom of God. Now, sadly, we don't have a deep understanding about that. But that's what we need to gain. We need to really go deeper with what is this whole kingdom of God thing. You start One of the things that happened to me, I remember early on in my Christian life, was as I read scripture, I found all these references to the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And I started asking questions of those that were training me, what does this mean? And they really didn't have good answers. And I knew there was something really missing in the understanding of Christianity, uh, of the people that I was associating with and I was looking for someone that had a more robust understanding of what the Kingdom of God was. And I was I was blessed to find Dennis Peacock 25 years ago who had a ro- more robust understanding and began to teach me what he saw and understood of the Kingdom of God from Scripture. So uh, next time we'll continue, we'll pick up this theme of the Kingdom of God, talk more about that and how that was the centering point for Paul, and his message about Christ was all about the kingdom of God. But in the process, let's keep in mind that one of the great practices that we're seeing here in Colossians is we must practice community. We must live in community. We must learn how to be interdependent if we're going to live well, and we're going to be obedient to the seminal commandment, that whatever we say and whatever we do, we must do it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, may we have grace to do that well. In Jesus' name.